0: Hello my lovelies. Hello my friends. My name is Victoria and welcome to my podcast on murder, mystery and mayhem. Today we're going to look at the Sherry Papini case. It's one I've wanted to cover for a very long time, especially since she's in the news right now. It's a strange case of disappearance and return. So I'm going to dive right into it. It was a crisp, cool day when Sherry and her spouse went about their regular business. There was nothing extraordinary as Keith went to work. When he came home, he called out for his wife, but there was no one there. He went outside, still not extremely worried, but there was no sign. He pulled out his mobile phone and opened the Find My Phone app, which showed Sherry's phone to be about a mile away, near their mailbox. He leaped into Sherry's car to go and discover his wife. But strangely, there was nobody there. He was getting anxious by now, so he rang the kids' nursery to see what time his wife had picked up the children. He was taken aback when they told him the kids were still there. So where was Sherry? Keith asked his mom to pick up the kids and then searched around the region and and pinged Sherry's phone. He found it lying in the grass, with strands of her blonde hair wrapped around the headphones. Keat took two pictures of Sherry's phone, in situ, on the ground, before calling 911. Her pink running jacket was also discovered nearby. He assumed that his wife had been kidnapped while out jogging that morning. Sherry was 5'3 and about 105 pounds, and she was 34 years old. The story hugely hit the news as Keith made good use of the media to bring scrutiny to his wife's case. People had characterized Sherry as a supermom, someone who would never have willingly left her kids. Police deputies made a public plea, saying they deemed Sherry to be at risk due to the situation of her disappearance. Sherry had been previously married before, so a call-on was made to her ex-husband, who is out of state. He told them they hadn't spoken in years. They made investigations with nearby hotels and motels to see if there were sightings there. But police all would also have looked at the indication that Keith presented to them. The placement of Sherry's headphones just didn't appear right. The headphones appeared neatly wrapped around her phone. As for the hair, wouldn't that just have blown away? It's almost like someone set a spectacle, wrapping a few hair strands around it for good measure. Police utilised tracker dogs and they didn't pick up any odour around the region where the phone was discovered. Officers told the media they were keeping an open mind. An emotional Keith made many media interviews and started a GoFundMe page to fund the discovering his wife. And it raised just under $50,000. Keith took a lie detector test and passed. A man named Cameron Gamble got involved in the inquiry. He proclaimed to be a specialist in ransom consultation. But later Cameron was said to be a bit sketchy and tagged a fame seeker and an opportunist. He facilitated a mystery donor who was a popular affluent entrepreneur who initially offered $50,000 reverse ransom for Sherry's safe return. This had nothing to do with Sherry's family or the police. The ransom was then doubled to $100,000 before the invitation was pulled the day before Sherry was discovered. Like, I couldn't even imagine what Keith was going through. Imagine that fear and panic to find out that your children hadn't been picked up. That your wife is nowhere to be found. Then you find her phone and her headphones and and strands of her hair wrapped up in it. And she is nowhere to be found. I see in interviews that Keith had done and he was absolutely devastated in them. You couldn't fake that type of devastation. The pain was etched all over his face. Three weeks after her disappearance on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, Sherry was dumped on the side of a road, about 150 miles south of where she was abducted. After running to the back of a church to discover it closed, she then ran back to the road and flagged down a truck driver who called the police. She was bruised and injured and burned by a branding iron. Her hair had been cut and she was very underweight. According to her spouse, the bridge of her nose had been broken. She had also told them that she had been thrown from her abductor's vehicle with a chain around her waist, fastened to her wrists, and a bag over her head. Sherry was admitted to hospital and later, later told police that two Hispanic women armed with a handgun had kidnapped her while she was out jogging, bundled her into their car, whack her, and held her captive in a basement before one of them eventually left her at the side of the road. She was emaciated and had a quarter-inch thick chain around her waist and clamps on her wrists. She had scrapes in various stages of healing, implying she'd been physically attacked numerous times. The best explanation Sherry could give of them was that one of her captors was between 20 and 30 years old and had long, curly hair. Pierced ears, tin eyebrows, and a thick Spanish accent, while the other was between 40 and 50 year olds, with thick eyebrows and straight black hair with some grey in it. Sherry's explanation of the alleged abductors was uncertain. She said they were either wearing masks or had her blindfolded the entire time. She said that over the three weeks she was gone, she was whipped, starved, and kept in chains at all times. According to Sherry, the day she was released, she listened to the two women arguing and then a gunshot rang out. One of the women came in and took her out of the car and threw her at the side of the road. Police said that Sherry had been cooperative and courageous while being interviewed. Police seized her clothes and remarked that they were different from those which she had vanished in three weeks previously. They discovered two sets of DNA on her clothes, one belonging to a male and one belonging to a female. She would have had to have either been in very close contact with another male for his DNA to still be on the clothing, or he would have had to have close contact with the clothing before she wore them. But Sherry had told she glimpsed only two women the whole time. Now I know people have said this is uncertain but to be fair we don't know precisely what she said to the police so we can't discount a male being involved behind the scenes without realising it. All we know is that the DNA discovered did not belong to Sherry's husband and when police searched the records they didn't find any matches in the system. Sherry became a real recluse after she went home hardly ever seen outside. But after the enormous flurry of media attention, people had a lot of issues and weren't as eager on letting it lie. Inconsistencies arose as detectives attempted to collaborate her story, including a slash on her foot that she contended her assailants gave her, but which wasn't discovered when she was hospitalised after turning up. The intention for her abduction is blurred since no ransom was demanded and Sherry was not known to be involved with drugs or crime. But during press conferences, police rejected to be drawn and wouldn't give details of what evidence they had. But they did say that they could find no intention as to why she was taken or indeed if this was a random or planned kidnapping. Rumours started circulating with regards to the case. police said that before her disappearance, Sherry had a texting connection with another man from Michigan. This had gone on for months and they had planned to meet before Sherry vanished. His contact was saved under a woman's name on Sherry's mobile and her husband was said to know nothing of this until much later on. Nonetheless, he was spoken to and cleared of any involvement in Sherry's case by the police. Brandon Weiss, who was a classmate of both Sherry and her husband Keith, said that he personally never had any intention to question her credibility, but added that he definitely understands why there are some sceptics. It said that when Sherry turned up on the side of the road in the mountain town of Gale, she had been branded with a frightening message on her right shoulder. Though it was an um, Ambiguous what the image was that had been burned into her skin, or why for that matter. It could have been because she was earmarked for human trafficking, but no picture has been released to the public. The Sheriff's Office proceeds to assess the brand and its possible meaning, but details of the brand stay confidential as part of the ongoing investigation. It said her spouse Keith applied for victim relief funds two days after Sherry's disappearance. People pointed to the fact that the couple raised almost fifty thousand pounds on GoFundMe. Having said that, it could be suspicious. Suspicion that has made Sheriff's account seem vague. Sherry's account seem vague. Maybe she bargained with her captors, saying that she would not recognise them if they let her go. That the branding and the cut of her hair cutting of her hair was a way of robbing her individuality. She could have been through a lot and we would never know. She may have thought that she would never see her family again and that's something none of us could ever imagine. (coughs) Sherry Pepini has recently commented to the press conserving her story and she said she wished those accountable for her kidnapping would be caught. Her new comments came after a tipster allegedly reached the county sheriff's office contending that Sherry was with him the whole time she was missing. A law enforcement source told the New York Post that a man had called him a few months ago, but to be fair, it's quite ordinary to get a lot of crank calls when a case is in the media as much as this one. Her husband recently said in a statement, Rumours, Assumptions, Lies and Hate have been both dull and disgusting. Those people should be ashamed of their brutal subhuman behaviour. We are not going to let those people take away our spirit, love or rejoice in our girl discovered alive and home where she belongs. I understand people want to story, images, proof that she was this was not some kind of hoax, planned to gain money, or some fabricated race war. I do not see a motive in addressing each of these lies. Instead, may I give you a glance of the mixture of horror and joy that was my experience of reuniting with the love of my life and the mother of my children. Since she returned home, Papini had been living a silent existence. At her family house on the outskirts of Shasta Lake, a small town of ten thousand people in Northern California. That was until the police investigated the man who claimed that he was with Sherry while she was missing. She has since been arrested. And she's been to court and she is released on bail. She is not living with her husband, Keith, and her children, but she is living with a relative. Obviously, the evidence points 100% that Sherry's kidnapping was a hoax. She admitted in court that it was a hoax, that she did lie, but she never stated why. It angers so many people that she would do this and that she would falsify this. But also the fact that we have to remember is that she blamed the Hispanic community. Which is absolutely disgusting. My opinion is, I think that she wanted to leave her family. And the only way she could think to do that was to make it look like she was abducted. And it got a lot bigger than she thought it would. It got completely out of hand. So she decided that she wanted to come back. And she didn't know how to do that. I think it got much more out of control than she ever dreamed it would. I'm not making excuses for her to do that to her husband. Because God bless him, he seems a bit of a a sensitive soul. And to watch him crying in interviews, and he was just so devastated. And when she came back home, he'd given another interview and he was talking about her being branded and stuff. You know, obviously not giving out too much details, but the man was absolutely devastated. And she orchestrated all of this so that she could have an affair on her husband. Now, the man in question states that while she went with him, she refused to eat. She did these things to herself, like, like broke her nose she beat herself she hit herself continuously through the whole time and then one day she just up and left and that was it so we're waiting for the outcome of this obviously sherry has lost everything now she's lost her husband as far as i'm aware but i'm not 100 percent sure that keith has filed for divorce she's going to lose full custody of her children because let's face it to come up with this whole elaborate lie and carry it on for years is 100% something that a crazy person would do. Obviously, she made a mistake, but to blame a Hispanic community, to put her husband through that, to put her children through that, to put her parents through that, her sister through that, his family through that. The community, the fear the community must have had. So I find it very hard to have sympathy for her. I believe he had no involvement in it whatsoever. And I hope that she personally, when they get divorced, will have to pay back all the money that they got on the GoFundMe and from the victim support and um, over fifty thousand. That she'll be held responsible for that and not him because the whole time he one hundred percent believed that his wife was going through that. Obviously now we're waiting for the outcome of her court case. I hope she gets a life in prison without the possibility of parole. But at the same time I Think I might like to see her going into a psychiatric hospital because to do that, what she did, you must be a little bit cuckoo. So that's today's podcast on the Sherry Papini case. For me personally, when it first happened, I wasn't 100% sure that it was real. I had seen that the girl had done the odd crazy thing in the past, but again, who hasn't? When we're all young, we've done things that we might not be proud of today. She was so beautiful. In their wedding pictures and all. She was such a beautiful woman. They looked like a perfect family. She was classed as a super mom. Was it the high standards that made her crack? Was it uh, she didn't love her husband anymore? Was it being the thought of leaving him? Maybe she did leave him and she had regrets then. And she couldn't just come back home. I personally don't know. But I'm very interested in following the whole court case. And to see the outcome. So today is Sunday. Today obviously my podcast day. I'm working in exactly one hour's time so I need to put this out and then get ready for work. It's not bad here in Ireland at all today. Yesterday we went for a walk in the park, myself and my husband Asif and our friends. It was beautiful and on Friday was my wedding anniversary. We were nine years married. It was absolutely perfect. We went for dinner, we came home, we had Nozeco, which is prosecco is a non-alcoholic prosecco because we both had to be up really early for work the next morning and we didn't want hangovers so we polished off the bottle of that it was just the perfect day so i'm not sure what my week ahead lies yet i have an exam tomorrow night so i need to get studying for that um it's in medical device operations so it's seriously hard but fingers crossed i'll do well and i have work all week and i don't know what my roster is yet but fingers crossed it won't be too bad hope you all have an amazing day get out there wherever you are if it's sunny get some sunshine if it's rain maybe do a little dance in the rain just enjoy your day and have a great week ahead.